Welcome to the On Point Podcast, a channel dedicated to helping you be the best hunter you can be. On Point is designed to help motivate and inspire you to get more out of yourself and your gear during your next hunt. If you're looking for information that will directly impact your success and help inspire you to go on new adventures, whether you're hunting with a bow or a rifle, On Point is the channel for you. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Me and Derek Carlton get to sit down in this episode and talk about Roosevelt elk hunting. And this is something that Derek has had really good success with. He is a 20-year-old guy who's been going out there and getting it done consistently and then helping his hunting partners fill their tags. And even with bears, he's had great success through tenacity, through work ethic, through figuring out these elk just by being in their presence almost every day he can get out in the woods he does so he has a wealth of knowledge don't let the age fool you the guy's an absolute killer i'm totally fired up to have him on the show can't wait to see what he does in the future uh but super super blessed to have him on the show so he can share with us what he's doing to put some of these really nice i'm talking 300 class roosevelt's on the ground and doing it consistently putting nice bulls on the ground and uh, looking forward to sharing this one with you guys. If you get a chance, go on, leave me a five-star review. Get yourself entered in these giveaways. I'm still doing giveaways, guys. Still keep getting yourself entered in these five-star reviews. You can uh, subscribe. And then if you also want more information, and say you're more of a visual guy, I have a YouTube channel, and you can go on, learn on there. It's, it's archery uh, geared for how-to videos, learning about gear, learning how to shoot, shooting processes, shooting tips. And there are a few hunting videos on there as well, but it's really geared towards the person that's wanting wanting to dive into archery or maybe up their game a little bit. So I have that for folks that want to go on and watch videos on YouTube. Just search my name, Garrett Weaver. I'll pull right up. And if you haven't and you've been listening to some of these Instagram uh, uh, episodes and you want to see some of these bucks and bulls that we're talking about, go onto my Instagram page on point with Garrett Weaver, you'll feel like you're more apart. You're getting a better idea and a better picture of the stories that we're telling the bucks that we're talking about, the bulls that we're talking about. And uh, it, it's just kind of cool to see uh, through the podcast in the actual picture what we're talking about here. It kind of just puts all the pieces of the puzzles together. So go follow me on there and uh, be sure to go check out Derek Carlton on Instagram and uh, just just follow this guy. I mean, the, the work ethic he puts out is, is really motivating. It's inspirational. And the success that he's had at, at a young age is truly remarkable. So uh, without any further ado, Derek Carlton. All right, so let's get this thing rolling, guys. So um, I'm sitting here with Derek Carlton, bear hunting, elk hunting extraordinaire at how old are you? 20. I'll 20 be 21 in November. Old. And you're a killer, man. I mean, I, I'm excited to have you on because I follow you on Instagram, and, and uh, you and I have met a couple times and yep. stuff, and and uh, just love watching what you do because it's like watching a new hunt like every week. Like, who got an elk this week that he's with? Who got a bear? Who did he help this week get a bear? You know, and I'm sitting here not seeing anything. <laughs> <laughs> so give give yourself an intro. Uh, who is Derek Carl- Carlton? So I've uh, you know I've, I've I've been lucky enough to be in this hunting industry for quite a while. Um, I was. At a young age, I'm um, great. I'm still young right now, uh-huh. but I uh, started working at Bowtech. Um, you know, I was in the pro shop for about seven years. 
uh, had the luxury of getting to meet very cool people, Jim Shockey and I, a bunch of other guys. Really? And, you met uh, him? He's a cool dude. Same with Eva. Really? Very nice people. Uh, he's on my list of people I want to meet. Yeah, he's a great guy. And I got uh, to do a couple TV shows with Cody Herman for Day One Outdoors. Really? Um, yeah, we did a bass fishing show, turkey show. And so that kind of got me into the filming. Um, and, you know, it kind of gave me the idea of, hey, I want to go down this road. And so I kind of uh, put it on the back burner just because I was going through college, getting my paramedic. Um, but I always had that kind of in my side, but, uh, you know, just pretty much anything I can do out in the wilderness and, you know, in the, in the hunt, that's, that's been my main thing always. Yeah. And you worked for Bowtech for how many years? About six or seven. So I, I was up there like, dude, like sixth grader <laughs> fletching arrows, you know, really? work, yeah. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much been the real, you know, kick in the rear for me to, to get going on my archery and, and, and really push myself to learn, work harder, hunt harder. Uh-huh. you know, t- to get where I'm at today. What'd you do for Bowtech? Um, meaning like f- in the pro shop? Yeah. Like you, you actually started working for them. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was there for oh, probably, I don't know, probably about three years. Um, and the problem is they couldn't hire me on because I was so young. <laughs> so I was pretty much like free labor. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I developed all the skills to, to sell things and work with customers. And, um, I think the hardest thing for me at first was, is a guy's not going to come in that's been hunting his whole life mm-hmm. and trust some you know, yep. young kid to work on his bows. And so yep. the first couple of years, I really had to prove myself to people mm-hmm. and to, to let them know that, dude, I, I know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I live this stuff. I'm up here every single day. I stay after work. And, uh, then it got to where, you know, it's, I'm working on everybody's bow and, and really? developing all these new relationships. And, uh, so I, I pretty much did everything. I was probably one of the number, um, you know, guys in there that are working and seeing a bunch of people and working on their bows and develop some really awesome relationships from some cool hunters out there. That's really cool. I, I know a couple guys that used to work there, um, like Chris. Yep, uh, Molina. Yeah, cool guy. Actually, he bought one of my, we were talking about my guns earlier before we started, and uh, he bought my, my uh, 308 precision rifle before I got my 6.5. Nice. Yeah, cool guy. He, he's a very good guy. I, you know, I was up there uh, – as just a young kid before Chris actually got hired on there. And so I think Chris oh. was working at like a Home Depot or something and mm. started coming in every single day. And uh, Chris moved his way up super fast, got hired on, actually went to, I think he was customer service and then went over to Pro Shop. Yeah. But super great guy to be around. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Molina. Yeah, shout out to Chris <laughs> Molina, buddy. Talking good about you. <laughs> you better listen to this. <laughs> so uh, so I wanted to talk about your success this year for Elk. And, and really, so you're 20 years old. And what really struck me um, since I've been following you is the track record that you have already, the understanding and and really just the success, all-around success that you've had with the elk. And we're talking Rosies. Yeah. Um, you do have some success on the Rockies. But what's really impressive is that it seems like a lot of guys, man, they just don't spend as much time as you in the woods. And you put in the work, and you're not just killing Rosies. You're killing some dandies, like how many you said you had a couple that were near three yeah I, I got i got one that's over 300 and one that's pretty close so there's um, guys that hunt their whole lives and don't never kill a 300 rosie yeah it's you know all, <laughs> like what i talk about when people when they're asking me when it comes to elk and the same thing you just brought up is it's how much time that you put in the woods mm-hmm. you know i literally you know thank gosh my woman at home hasn't killed me yet but i spend <laughs> all my time in the woods right you know it's if you're out there every single day you know that's between your spring bear hunts your black till your you know going out with other people and just you know like shed season and just going out there and spending time in the woods and understanding where these elk are at understanding why they're there um you know once you come into season you're not scouting during season you're hunting Mm -hmm. you know you've got the spots dialed down where the big bulls (laughs) are at where the elk are at why they're there 
Mm-hmm. And if you spend every single day out there, which I try to get every day off during season, mm. you know, it's, I, I go crazy if I don't just because that's my most favorite time of the year. So if you put every day out there and you hunt as hard as the first day, as you know, on the last day is your success rate and um, percentage of actually finding an elk and killing elk goes way up because hmm. you're out there every single day. So that's funny that you said because the reason I started hunting over east is because I didn't have the time to really put into the woods for rosies. Mm-hmm. And I could go over east and not scout and go get on elk. <laughs> and that's my main reason for – and I'm not knocking anybody that hunts Rockies. I think it's easier. I do. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, just from a guy who struggled on rosies for – four years before I finally went over to East and then getting on bowls like almost every day is like, there's something, something's different here. They're a little bit more, maybe I'm doing something different. Maybe the bowls are different, but for whatever reason, I'm able to put it together way easier over there. Granted, I just got the first one under my belt, first uh, archery bowl under my belt. And it was, a was a rosy. Yeah. Um, but um, I really want to talk about, and you already hit on it is the, the scouting. Cause I, one thing I tell people is make sure you're not scouting during season. What's that mean? That means that you don't know where you're going, what you're looking, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for elk. Yep. You should know where the elk are come season if you really want to be successful. And tell me, what, what are you doing in the off season before we start getting into the actual hunting aspect? What are you doing in the off season to find these, I would say they're giant bulls because you showed me some pictures of some absolutely once in a lifetime bulls. And uh, what are you doing to, what are you looking for? All that stuff. So the big thing is a lot of people don't realize this is um, elk throughout different seasons is they move to different areas. So let's say you're hunting, a, you know, whether it's a private timber company or you're hunting, a, a you know, maybe national forest or BLM or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be is those elk that may be in there during archery season are not going to be there during your, you know, your high cascade rifle season, your late season muzzleloader, mm-hmm. uh, or, or when the, the bulls go and shed their antlers. So if you're out there every single day and start seeing these, you know, paths uh, that they go do their loops mm-hmm. is you start understanding where these elk are going to be at. And so like shed season is like where I actually hunt for elk is the bulls are not in there during that, you know, there, there's going to be a few of them that are in there during that high cascade, you know, rifle tag. Mm-hmm. And in that muzzleloader, they're going to start, they work way out of that area. So they they go up high, they go by themselves. Um, and they go up there and they rest pretty much until it's time for spring season. So during spring bear, you're out there glassing units, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing where these elk are at. Right. And so once you can kind of understand, you know, where these elk are at, get out and walk some of these timber patches. Why are these elk there? You know, elk aren't in an area for no reason. Mm -hmm. There's water, there's food, there's, you know, cover. There's a reason why they feel safe there. Once you understand that, then more comes towards September, start figuring out where the cows are because those bulls that are by themselves are not going to be there during that late August and September because they're going to break up from those bachelor herds Mm -hmm. and go down and find those cows. Hmm. So if you can find, you know, let's say a herd of 15, 10, or whatever it may be of cows, mm-hmm. is sooner or later in that area, there will be a bull on those. So let's let's start off. So you use, uh, same thing I do, you use bear hunting to pretty much keep yourself out in the woods all yep. year round. And you also shed hunt, which I absolutely, I found one shed. Uh, my first rosy shed this year is a spike. I, I despise shed hunting, but it gets <laughs> me out there walking. I, I hate it. I just can't. I don't have, I mean, maybe if I found one every once I in know. a while. 
Give me a bone. Yeah, I, I mostly despise <laughs> it because I can't find them. Yeah, I found my first one. It was laying in, in like this road that no one had driven out in like 16 million years. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that shit I found this year, that six point. Uh-uh. Yeah, I, that was in a road. Really? Yep, I Fantastic. bumped that. I was out scouting, looking around. I spotted the herd, <laughs> and they went up yeah. out of this unit, went right across the timber and down in this drainage, and I drove up there and walked the road up, and sure enough, there was a shed really? laying right in the road. They, there's something to that maybe yep yeah that's about <laughs> as far as it goes for me finding any answers so, so you're so you're using bear hunting in the spring yep um let's say that you locate a good bull that you can tell is going to have all everything that you want or you locate some bulls that time of year so may and what do you do so you go back i mean grand you're out there bear hunting you go back there and just watch those elk you know, dude, they move a long ways. It, it is actually kind of ridiculous of how far those elk actually move and travel. Um, once they start, you know, growing, they start shedding their uh, velvet. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much being, you know, going up there every single day, glassing, figuring out where these elk are going mm-hmm. because he could move two drainages over, you know, and be on the other side. Um, you how know, far, like mileage wise, would you put a number on it? Oh, dude, it totally depends. I'd say, you know, once they, st- it depends if there's cows there. If there's no cows there, they're going to go till they find cows. Okay. And so they could be a half mile. They could be a mile. They could be two miles across the drainage. I mean, it, it all depends on how many bulls are in one area and how many cows there are. We're talking rosies. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because Rockies would be way different. Oh, gosh. They, those things freaking <laughs> run for miles. You bump in, you might yeah. as well go hunt over. Yeah, Idaho they're in a something. different zip code. Yep. <laughs> so so for a rosie, you located a good bull. You uh, trail cams. Um, it's kind of funny is I don't use trail cameras. Mm. Um, the reason for this is some people may laugh at me is because I've been out in the woods hiking and found other people's trail cameras and go, Mm -hmm. Oh, I wonder why they have a trail camera here. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not the kind, I actually won't go and check somebody's trail camera. I leave it alone because Mm -hmm. I don't want somebody to do something to me that I wouldn't want done to them. Right. And so, uh, you know, I leave them alone, but if I have a trail camera in an area that gives somebody else a hint of, okay, maybe there's animals here. The normal, a normal person will probably check that trail camera. Um, some people steal them. So I try to keep everything as, you know, sterile as possible. Mm -hmm. I go back there and dude, I'm out there all the time. I hike all the time. And so I'm going to see what's there. And if Mm -hmm. not, you know, no biggie, um, I'm going to see tracks, I'm going to see rubs. Um, but I try to keep it as sterile as possible. So nobody knows where I hunt. I mean, it sounds Mm -hmm. funny, but that's, that's how I run. When I actually go out into the woods and it's, you know, bear season or whatever time and, I always try and, and, and I, we talked about this earlier, about how bad my memory is. Uh, but I always try and remember the rubs that I saw that for were from last year. Yep. Cause there's probably going to be new rubs in that same area from this year. Mm-hmm. It seems like, and, and maybe you've had, you can expand on this, but it seems like when you find an area that they like to rub those smaller saplings, those like, um, uh, leafy, like little maple trees or whatever they're called. Like they look like an Aspen. Yeah. I don't think they're called an Aspen, but um, they're just, you know, a little bit thicker than your wrist. And it seems like they always hit those, that same spot every year. And that, so what, what I found is being out there scouting is, so in your Mm preseason, like your bear hunting, where those bulls are all in bachelor herds Mm -hmm. is majority of them, if they don't get bumped out of there due to logging or whatever, or, you know, whatever the case may be is they're going to try to rub in the same spots. That's why you see on like ridges, on benches, on Mm -hmm. old, uh, you know, landings is there's a lots of elk rubs. And the biggest thing is for people is trying to determine are those velvet rubs or are those actually bull in the rut rubs? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so you'll start noticing that once you, you know, if you see an area and, and some of the bigger bulls are going to rub on those huge trees. Yeah. Um, and those are going to be like, okay, wow, that's a, that's a rut rub. But when you're up higher and you see, you know, all these rubs all over the place, but there's no elk there during season, those are bulls that are in their preseason that rub their antlers and now they moved on. Hmm. And so trying to, you know, defer between the two can be pretty hard. As I say, I wonder if there's a way to actually tell the difference between them. Yeah. Like, Someone, someone needs to figure that out. I know. Because, like, this year, you know, in a spot that, you know, I I get into a lot of elk, you know, right at the beginning of the season, and then they're completely moved out of there. So, hmm. like, I try to hunt that within that first three to four days because the mm-hmm. bulls are still going to be in the bachelor groups, and they're still going to be, you know, getting their first rubs going on. After that, they're gone. Hmm. And so, then they're moved on, get their cows, and there's nothing in that area till the following spring. Really? Yep. Now, you said uh, something about elk doing loops, and I know uh, from my experience they absolutely make the rounds yep. is what we call them. So expand on that for the listener. Uh, what exactly do you mean by a loop, and, and how do you use that to your advantage? So it, uh, basically, you know, elk in preseason, they have their set schedule, mm-hmm. and so I like to call it their schedule. Mm-hmm. And so if they're in a spot feeding, you know, they might have, you know, if you're in a, a, a timber area, a timber company, they may be three or four different units that these elk like to migrate or so around. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be going from this unit that has better feed, they go to the next place that has water, they go to this reprod patch, they go, I mean, they just keep making, there could be a two-day loop, three-day loop, or a week loop. Mm-hmm. And so when you're out there, every single day and monitoring this when it comes to season you know there's only so many timber patches that are in these places there are only so many places these elk can go and so unless they get blown completely out of the country which normally isn't the case Mm -hmm. is when you go you know the first part of august or through september is if you're not seeing those elk out then you look and you have all these different you know plans that you go hunt until you find these elk, you know, find the elk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pretty much run that all day long, every day, and just beat that playbook um, that I have pretty much just the alphabet, I like to call it, mm-hmm. until I find these elk. Okay. So I I learned from uh, from a younger age from a really, really great uh, Rosie Hunter, um, who I'm hopefully going to have on the podcast one of these days if I can yank his arm hard enough. But um, he will give you a scenario. We were hunting muzzler one time. My dad had a tag, and he misses and, and, uh, the whole herd blows off and, and, uh, the guy walks back, Willie walks back to his truck. He's like, come on, I know where they're going. And to me, that was, that showed me the, that there's something there. Yep. And that showed me that this guy spends a lot of time in the woods. He knows this herd and he knew, he knew that with about, I don't know how many different herds, how, do you have a game plan for when they bump and do you know where they're going to go ahead of time typically? A lot of the place, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're in a spot and you see these elk and that's that's the biggest thing about being out there every day mm-hmm. is, you know, when you're in the preseason, you blow the elk out on accident. You go up there looking for a bear, maybe drive a road you don't normally drive during mm-hmm. archery season, and let's say these elk are out there and they take off and they go up this ridge. It's like, okay, why are they escaping to that ridge? Why, you know, if you walk up there, there's a reason why these elk trails look like freeways. And I'm sure you've seen it when you've been out hunting is those are their point A to point B places. You know, there's a reason why they walk on those same trails is it must, it's easier for them. They know what's going on there. They know where to go to place, you know, to different places. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a spot and blow these elk out and, you know, you know that just on the other side, they've been hanging out. Normally there's a safe spot, a bedding spot. It's okay. Let them go up over the hill, make your move, go back, wait a couple hours, let them calm down, and you're like, okay, they're going to be in that spot. Hmm. And so, 
we've done that, you know, many a times. I know a few years ago on a, a spike, um, I called in for one of my buddies is we were actually driving to a different spot, blew two bulls out of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, Oh, they'll be back here in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, sure enough, those elk worked right through the reprod patch, right back up in this little bowl that I've always seen elk in. Hmm. And we walked down in there and sure enough, within five minutes, called him in a bowl and he whacked it. Really? Yep. So it's just <laughs> spending time out there and understanding why an elk is there is your, I mean, it, your success level goes way up. Hmm. I noticed a lot of guys really, cause, uh, where I shot my bowl this year, there was, wasn't really any other tire tracks. It's mm-hmm. not fun stuff to hunt. How often are you hunting that stuff that's not fun to hunt? When I'm talking about, I'm talking about the reprod versus the nice second growth that's nice and open. What do you what What's your most successful type of area that you're getting into these things in? Exactly where the people aren't. Yeah. Yep. You know, elk, elk they kind of um, they'll move away from pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some spots that are actually like phenomenal, and no matter what, how many pressure there is, there's always elk there for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to go above and beyond away from the normal person because um, if I was an elk getting pressured, I don't want to be where I have to run every single day to get away from somebody. Right. So if I got to hunt the most reprodded stuff out there and you know work my hardest to find a shooting lane, I'm going to be down there. And so it just totally depends. I pretty much, I pretty much go with the elk car. I mean, it sounds funny and, you know, right, right. easier said than done. But uh, if there's an elk, and, and like this year, that bull I shot, it, I always pack stuff out of the worst places because <laughs> I always shoot things in the worst places. Uh-huh. You know, because not the normal person wants to go down there. Right. That makes sense. It's funny because when I was... When I was going to my spot this year, it was like, man, no one else is up here. I must really suck. Like, <laughs> if I'm not seeing other people, I must not be doing it right. Yep. <laughs> but really, if you're not, and I don't think this bull even heard another hunter, you know, all year. Yep. But um, it's just really interesting because it seems like every every year you get these guys that are hunting the same spots, no matter how many people mm-hmm. they're in there. We're guilty of that over in Eastern Oregon. We hunt this small little area, and then until we we none of us think we're going to kill one there that's when we move yeah and so we'll spend a whole day that it's like okay we probably should have moved the day before that but there's there's people everywhere i got a video of somebody starting up a chainsaw this year and falling trees within 100 yards of where we're sitting perfect yeah (laughs) it's like well that's us for being near a road but the elk are here you know at the same time if we were in the wilderness that wouldn't have happened yeah but i mean (laughs) there's pros and cons of both i always like to joke that we're a creature habit Uh uh-huh you know and and that stays the same when it comes into like the hunting aspect is I always look at it is I'd rather be phenomenal in one area than mm-hmm. mediocre in a lot. Because if you're out there every single day and let's say there is more pressure in this area. Well, if you try to out hunt everybody and you're out there every day, you're scouting is mm-hmm. you're going to have better odds than anybody else. You're going to know that area better. There may be one elk in that whole entire drainage, but if you know his escape routes, know mm-hmm. where he beds, and is willing, you know, you're willing to put the time in, you're going to have a better chance of shooting that one elk than everybody else out there driving roads. For sure. And I like what you said about, you know, being good at one thing or being really exceptional yeah. at it. And that's why I, we were talking about guns before we started this thing too. And that's why I have a couple, I've got two long guns in there that aren't set up. Yep. Well, it's because I'm a bow guy and I decided I'm like, I split in time and resources between both. And I'm like, I got to choose one here. And that's why those things are really sat in there for 
Well, I've got one in there, probably cl- pushing three years. It's a Sendero. It's a nice gun. Yeah. It's brand new, never been shot. You know, I had plans for it, but you really need to figure out what you want to be good at, I guess. And this can go for anything in life is you can be good at a lot of things or you can be really exceptional. Look at Michael Jordan. Exactly. He was really good at basketball, but when he switched over to or baseball in that one movie, yep. that, what was that movie? Space Jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sucked. Yep. He sucked. I think he actually did that in real life, if I remember right. I think he actually tried to. He actually did try playing baseball. He did, but uh, that didn't work out so well. Um, you can't. You can't do that with hunting either. No, and that's. I mean, that's it's kind of funny. It's not dissing on any guys at Hunt Over East because Over East is an awesome place, and I'm I'm trying to expand my horizon on that. But I have a really hard time leaving to go over there when I when I know my Roosevelt's. I know the country, and we do it every single year. Every year we you know we hunt for the first part, and then we're like, well, let's go try Over East. Uh huh. So we'll bomb over there for a couple of days, and then I mean, we could be into elk, and all, and I'm getting antsy. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> I am ready to go home. I, really? Just because I know my area. Uh-huh. You know, it's over there. You're looking on Onyx and going, well, if I was an elk, I guess I'd hang out on yep, this Ridge. Exactly. Or maybe there's, you know, maybe a herd sits over here, and the whole time in the back of your mind, you're like, oh goodness, it's been two days. These elk are going to be back in my spot, or yeah, you know. <laughs> and then bomb right back, and it seems like every time we go back, we're right on elk again. That's funny. And you're like, why did I even leave? Exactly. <laughs> well, truth be told, we live in some of the most densely populated elk areas, and we drive seven, eight, nine hours away from them. It's like, why? I saw my hunting partner on the way back home from our last trip. I'm like, we're going to have to start hunting rosies, man. Like, just put our nose to the grindstone, get good at it, because we're driving literally away from the most popular, most populated elk unit one of them in Oregon and it just doesn't make sense to me anymore just because we think it's easier to go over east and you know I I think we're going to start trying to kill more rosies this yeah moving moving ahead what what I think the the big thing for people is is there's always that talk of the bulls over there always screaming you're always getting you know everyone's chasing that bugle fest and uh you know it's it's awesome but it's like people don't realize Roosevelt's actually bugle a lot more mm-hmm. than people think. And a lot of it I think has to do is just such dense timber. Yeah. You know, it's, I have terrible hearing. I really do. Um, and so unless, you know, the bull is like almost right on top of me, I have a really hard time hearing them. Um, just cause I built houses for quite a while and huh. thought I'd be cool and not wear earplugs. Ah. And so now I'm regretting this situation, but, uh, really, you know, it's, I get elk to bugle every year. You know, I'm always, you know, trying, you know, hunting hard to get elk that are vocal. And it's, I've had some of my best days I've ever had for bulls screaming is Roosevelt's. Mm. And so I, I know you can find it over Reese. I know bulls bugle a lot more over there, but, uh, it's pretty much hunt what you're good at is yeah. what it comes down to. I'm glad you said, uh, the, the bugle chasing thing, because I was going to go there later in the episode. Cause mm-hmm. I've been, uh, I've been, I flipped through elk addicts and stuff and yeah. I flipped through the, is it September yet page? And, everybody's the most common question hunting this unit are they screaming i'm like dude they could be screaming in one drainage in that unit and then 10 minute drive they're they're not they're not they're they're there but i'm like you it just drives me insane you know like over here um right now it's really popular over here at the coast are they screaming are they still talking are they still running it's like man the the one thing that that and i'm not saying i'm an elk expert i killed my first freaking one this year with a bow yeah but from a lot of failures, a lot of like eight years of failures, I've learned certain mindsets that help me keep going. And one of them, and you can tell me if you have something similar, is when I hunt a unit 
or an area, I convince myself that literally at that moment, because I do honestly believe it, at that moment there's a hot cow yeah. and there's a bull screaming his head off. I just have to find him. I have yep. to put in enough work. I have to cover enough drainages. Somewhere in this unit, unit they are screaming. Yep. And uh, you know, it's it's cool that you say something like that. Is what I go and when I'm you know thinking about elk is I think that they're just like us. They have their own personality. Yeah. You know, you know, if you go and hunt someplace over east, or you hunt some place down on the coast, or you're in the valley, or wherever the case may be, is each elk acts differently. Mm-hmm. They do. They really do. Um, and so if you go out there and you're finding elk, and same thing if you have like one cow or one bull, mm-hmm. is dude, there is thousands of acres of forest and national forest and timberlands and spots that elk hang out. And just because somebody says, oh, they're not screaming in that area, yeah. you could literally go a road system over and walk in a drainage and there's some bull just absolutely going crazy. Yeah. You know, it, yep. each bull comes into the rut at a certain time. Yeah, you can go off the equinox or whatever and, and find the best time of, you know, the rut activity. Yeah. But, dude, last year, I mean, I went into a spot opening day and had a bull just ripping all by himself. Yeah. You know, it, they come into rut whenever they want to. You know, you can go off the moon or, or the solar or whatever, you know, the case may be. Mm-hmm. But they're going to do what they do when they want to do it. Yeah. That's funny you said that characteristics. I was talking to my buddy Willie the other day, the one that taught me how to elk hunt and everything. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about that that bull I got. And he's like, they're always early in, early in that drainage. He's like, first two weeks, they're always early. I'm like, really? He's like, after that, my not, might, might as well not even hunt it. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, every year, two, first two weeks, they sh- shut up, and then maybe like last week, they'll fire back up. Yeah. And it's just that drainage, that genetic, that personality in that in that area. And we're talking rosies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we went over east this year, and you, we figured out you and I had the same area. I know. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Um we talked to a lot of guys, the the local store over there, no one's bringing elk in, no one's hearing them bugle. They're seeing them maybe, but they're not vocal, they're not killing them. First four hours, we had four bulls in rain, like, holy smokes, it's yep. awesome over here, and then the people moved in and they got out, but um, it's just that little pocket where they were hot, and you just have to do the work. I mean, if you're asking somebody over Facebook, do you think they're telling you the truth, first of all? Yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean... If I'm in a hot bowl, the last thing I'm worried about is Facebook. I know. And the last thing I'm worried about is helping you. I mean, I love helping build the podcast, but I'm not going to be posting on Facebook. They're bugling right here. Yeah. Come over and, yeah, and no, it, it, it just, I, I can't do that. Well, because word spreads, I mean, like we were talking about that area um, where, where we've had similar experiences in, is uh, I had a friend that was over there, and uh, all of a sudden they, they went in there just last week mm-hmm. and had bulls going absolutely crazy, and they were the only person at the trailhead, <laughs> gave it seven hours, and they shot a bull, walked back out the trailhead, and there's like six rigs and a spike trailer, that stuff that moved in there. Really? It is people get word so fast. Really? You know, and all of a sudden now you got all these hunters in there, and granted it's they they figured it out. They talked to people, and now they're hunting a spot that bulls are ripping. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many people out there that it's it's really hard to keep a spot secret yeah. for very long. Well, one thing is is I won't say units on the podcast because if you've been putting in for that unit, and then I Garrett you know says oh hunt unit sixteen, come on man, you just might have ruined my chances at yeah. drawing next yep. year. Now there's maybe I've been hunting that since I was a kid. Now every Tom Dick and Harry's going to be over. I there. know and it blows your I mean just the whole thing out of the water. <laughs> right. So for calling and strategies and stuff like that. So you've got you've got your herd located. You're 
post preseason, you're you're pretty much right there at opening weekend. Yep. What are you doing? So it depends. So if they're bachelor groups, I'll do. It. Bachelor groups are absolute blast if they cooperate. Uh-huh. Is uh, you know they're they're in that moment where they're getting ready to leave. They're getting ready to go look for cows. Uh-huh. Is I think the first like the first week, two weeks of season uh-huh. is your best, and in your last you know two weeks you know or week the last week actually is going to be your best. There's that one week in between that um, they talk about kind of like that pre rut mm-hmm. um, where sometimes the elk will lock down, and you'll see that either the first part of the, you know towards the end. It just totally depends on what the elk are doing. But if you can get in there and have a bunch of bulls that are all together mm-hmm. and get in there and straight cow call, they just run in like, really? oh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh. You know, it all depends on the situation, how you know how the elk are. But uh, that at the beginning is just so much fun, and you can have mm-hmm. such great you know outcomes from that. If you get towards the end of the season, you start getting the bulls that are um, – you know, your big herd bulls that will go in, they'll take the cows is the fun thing about those is there's always going to be about a spike or maybe a raghorn in that herd. Yeah. Um, and you'll notice is about halfway through the season is you'll, there'll be a raghorn that has all these cows and you're like, there's no way that's the herd bull. (laughs) Well, what that raghorn does is I've noticed is those rags will go out there and they'll herd the cows up. Mm Mm-hmm. They'll get their little name of fame and think they're cool, and then all of a sudden you'll get that herd bull come in, yeah. and he'll kick that raghorn out, and now he has that herd. Yeah. Well, boom, there's an opportunity for somebody to go in there and call that raghorn in mm-hmm. because now he's by himself, he's vulnerable, and he's going to run in on any cow call he hears. Um, now for that herd bull, is most likely the herd bull is going to start getting to his rut. He's going to start getting um, defensive and really protect that uh, herd that he has. So if you can find a bull, locate him. Um, sometimes they'll be bugling, sometimes they won't. But if you can get in there and close that distance, and a lot of guys I talk to that, you know, they'll text me, they'll call me or whatever, Instagram, Facebook, and ask, hey, I got this bull going on, you know, why isn't he coming in? What should I do? You know, he's acting like this, he's bugling back, but he won't leave his cows. Well, hmm. obviously he's not going to leave his cows, <laughs> you know. He's not going to come and, and, and go – 200 yards away, 150 yards away right. to fight with you and leave his cows completely unattended. Right. The only way you're going to get that bull to fire up and really come and challenge you is you get in there and you break that comfort boundary that he has mm-hmm. and just start ripping off bugles, get the wind right, rake trees, and sound like a good bull, and that's going to threaten him, and he's going to come in, and it forces him to challenge you. There's your shot opportunity. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, and and we we did that on a really special tag with Shelby this year. Shelby and Anthony, Team Dirty Trad, um, who's a friend of mine, and and uh, we we were talking about this bull earlier that we were following around. We were with his herd, and uh, we we had a cow that was because I saw the bull chasing the cow. I mean, she was hot, mm-hmm. and uh, we would busted the rest of the herd and. Um, Anthony lit ball bugled and I'm like, he's going to come right. We split his herd. He's so pissed. He only cared about that one cow. Yep. Even though the rest of his herd split long story short, we chased that bull for, and, and the hot cow, I have a feeling, and I, it's just a theory. You can tell me if I'm wrong was probably the lead cow because wherever she went, the whole rest of the herd followed, it tells me that she's lead cow, but she was also the hot cow. Cause that bull would follow. He wasn't pushing the herd or anything. But it took four days to get that bull to finally turn around, and we were on him for hours. Yep. Hours. So just don't think because you get in close, he bugle once, he didn't come in. It's not going to work. Keep 
pushing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it, it just ride them hardcore, you know, and, and, and there's some spots where you need to back out. If they're going in an area where, like, you really can't hunt them, there's no point of mm-hmm. pushing them out. You know, back out for a few hours, you know, and see and analyze the situation and try to figure out what's a better idea. But that later part of that season, you know, it seems like this year, I don't know if you guys have had so far for being out there, but that last week of season this year is seems like where the elk are just starting to get really into the rut. Hmm. And so going out there, finding those herd bulls and really pushing them hard, making them, making them be aggressive is that's going to be your way to get a herd bull. Um, you know, I, I, I go out each season thinking I'm only going to have one opportunity. Same here. And so if you hunt that way, you're going to hunt hard every single day. You're not going to slack off. You're going to keep that pressure on yourself to find that one opportunity. And you get halfway through the season, those smaller bulls will get kicked off. They do every single year. And I love, I just love elk hunting and having the opportunity to call an elk in, you know, it's, you're going to get it. You're going to have an opportunity at a big bull one of these years, but I would rather, you know, be, you know, 60, 70 years old and say, I have, I've killed 40 bulls. Yeah. Then, you know, be that same age and say, yeah, I've killed three, six points, <laughs> you know? Right. And so if you go out there and, and hunt super hard, you're going to run into an elk. I mean, I love calling in any sort of elk. It don't matter if it's a, a cow to a spike to a 300 inch bull, you know, like the, the bull I shot this year, it's, it's not big. He's just a spike by fork, but having that opportunity and seeing that bull run in and doing mm-hmm. exactly what you planned, that's what you look for during an elk season yeah. is that one opportunity to really elk hunt. I mean, that's what it's all about. So do you hunt all day? Oh yeah. No. What if you, uh, 10 to two o'clock or what's your favorite time frame to actually get in and call them? Um, it depends on what they're doing, where they're at. Really? Um, in the mornings, like the bull that I shot is I glassed him up in a unit mm-hmm. and, um, I play the thermals huge. That's a big part of my hunting is understanding, um, where these elk are going and what direction, you know, the sun comes up and, and, and playing that thermals. Cause that's what makes your hunt. You don't want to be going down when the wind's going down. Cause the elk are going to obviously leave, right? They're going to get your wind. Um, but I love hunting that, like you said, that 10 to two, because those mm-hmm. elk are in the timber mm-hmm. and majority of the time, the big bulls are going to go in there. They're either going to be on that one hot cow and they're, they're going to bed the rest of that herd. Well, once you figure out where those elk are, if you slip in there, um, and that bull's already safe with his cows, you can actually have a better chance of cow calling him away from the herd, thinking he's going to pick up another cow mm-hmm. or going in there and challenging him. And now he's going to defend his herd. And then there's your shot shot opportunity. Yeah, I've always heard that 10 to 2 is pretty hot. And then some yep. other guys are like, well, that's the time the winds are kind of swirling. So you get two you get two different approaches there. And, and not that one's right or one's wrong. Yeah. Um, but we had that one big bowl over there this year screaming at 1 o'clock. Yep. I mean, it was on. And he was screaming all day. Yeah. D- and didn't matter. another thing is people don't uh, – I don't know if they know too much about when it comes to Roosevelt hunting is – when people leave and go home, they'll hunt the mornings and they'll hunt the evenings. Well, when a herd bull gets his cows, he's not going to want to keep them in that reprod because he can't see all of his cows. So now you have a higher chance of another bull coming in and stealing mm-hmm. those cows from him without him knowing. Mm-hmm. So over here where we are in Oregon, you have logging clear cuts. Is like I, I spotted a herd at 10 o'clock in the day. Big old branch bull pushes cows right in the middle of the unit hmm. because now he can see all of his elk. Really? Yep. So that that's just what I found out mm-hmm. is when everybody goes home, 
I'm out there 24 seven in <laughs> glassing units, hunting right. timber, and you could be, you know, three o'clock hardest part of the day. And there's a 300 inch bull pushing all those cows out in the middle of the unit. Right in the open. Yep. You know, you hear about that all the time is, is guys, you know, they think they got, well, they did get lucky, but they're like, yeah, we just right out in the middle of the unit, right out in the middle of the day or whatever. It's like, maybe there's something to, you know, mm-hmm. something to that. And, and, and I think we, you know, me personally, I've always kind of put elk on a pedestal because I just had such a bad success rate with them. Mm-hmm. And I think they're more simpler than what we give them. I mean, I think they are really, truly a simple animal. They, they don't want to be pressured. They want to see where they're at, where they're going. And like you're saying, well, he can't see anything in the reprod. Yeah. You know? And uh, I just, I think, I think it's a little bit more simpler than making it, you know, like the guys that get a hold of you through the text and stuff like that. Just, just go in there and bugle, like get in yeah. close. It's, you don't have to do all these special things. Play the wind. Just do the basics. And I think if a guy does that, he's going to get more opportunities and really paralysis by analysis you know exactly and, and like i love how you say elk are so simple um is because is if you're a hunter and you're out there and you're looking at a spot and you're like god that's really steep mm-hmm. or that's really brushy i don't want to walk through it mm-hmm. they're not going to walk through it either elk are fat <laughs> and lazy animals mm-hmm. they really are you know if they get pressured they're going to take granted their easiest escape route mm-hmm. um but if you go down, why why do you see elk tracks in the roads? Why do you see elk tracks in, in spots that are easy accessible? Is because they're easy places for them to travel. Yep. You know, if you start under or realizing that and understanding, okay, you know, they're coming here for a reason, they take this trail for a reason, is you really start zoning down your idea and your spots of where these elk are gonna be. So you're not just beating brush in a spot that goes, Yeah, nobody hunts back here, this is steep, you know, the elk gotta be in here. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something in there, but if it's super steep and hard for you to get through and there's no trails, majority of the time, there's not going to be an elk walking through that spot. (laughs) So understand, you know, the topography of the land, uh, what timber you have there, what resources you have there, and you can start figuring out what's the easiest place, where are these elk going, why are they there? And in your percentage of finding elk and and shooting elk, it just skyrockets because you're, you're really starting to put all of your skills into one basket. And I, that's, that's what I do. I mean, I try to, you know, put all the, the eggs in one basket and, you know, and better myself, I guess. So how aggressive of an elk hunter would you say that you are for bugling, calling and pushing? Um, depends on the elk. Really? Yes. So if you have, if you have like a a younger raghorn that's Mm -hmm. by himself, let's say third week of season, that bull's going to be pretty timid. Probably got his butt kicked. Yeah, he got his butt kicked. He's kicked out of the herd. Mm -hmm. And those are great to go in there to get set up, get the wind right, and cow calm in. Keep it nice, easy, and simple. And those bulls are going to slip right in there. They may not run in because they, you know, majority of the time that year, there's going to be a big herd. They obviously Mm -hmm. just got ran off by a herd bull. Right. So just be cognizant of what's going on. Um, nice, easy cow calls. Um, but if you get a big herd bull, or it doesn't even have to be a huge bull, just a bull that is fired up, he's got a herd, um, then you can really get aggressive. And that's my favorite type of hunting because I love the whole experience of bulls fired up. I love running at the elk, getting the wind right, raking trees, mm-hmm. and you're just in this full-out rut fest. And by far, that it is an absolute blast. So if you can understand an elk and see if he's bugling back like you know once every ten seconds or ripping back and cutting you off, mm-hmm. um, he's got a lot going on. So you have a lot more leeway 
And if you're especially if you're bugling, you can make as much noise as yeah. you want. I mean, you can trip and fall and knock trees over, and all that's going to do is hype him up any hype him up even more, thinking that there's a bull running into his cows for sure. And so it oh it, it's a blast. <laughs> So one thing that you said, raking, we've been utilizing raking more and more and more every year. Like we started doing it, you know, just to make elk sounds. And then mm. uh, Mitch and I, uh, last year, he, we saw a bull raking before we even, we heard him bugling, but when we finally saw him, he was raking. And I was just thinking, I'm like, let's just rake. And then you slip up around while he's raking, sneak up on him. Because a lot of times in the raking, from what I've heard, their their eyes are closed because they're getting stuff in their face. They're not yep. paying attention. You can sneak. You can all, not basically walk up to them, but you can really put a sneak on them. Oh, absolutely. And so he did that. I'm like, just go flank them, you know, and I'll start raking. Hopefully that'll keep them raking until you get down there. And he ended up getting like a 25-yard shot of that bull. Yep. Smoked him and everything. And we did that this year. Um, we had four bulls going. I didn't know it was three at the time, but and then uh, apparently one night once I started raking because we were trying to get one bull to come in, another one starts raking. Never even bugled, just starts raking, and uh, we never got. We didn't end up in getting any of them, but um, it was just really cool that that alone, that raking alone, got that bull fired up. Well, yeah, and that's I've I've, I've told uh, quite a few people about it. Is you're not. I mean, it sounds funny. Guys that are over east um, or, or different countries that don't have blacktails or states that don't realize, but you're not blacktail hunting. You know, <laughs> right. blacktail, they're going to see a mile away from you there. You got to be really quiet. Mm-hmm. Elk hunting, being realistic as an elk hunter, is making the same noises that they do. Mm-hmm. Elk are fat animals. You can hear an elk walking through a t- for the yeah. most part, unless they're in full sneak mode. <laughs> but if they're just out there minding their own business, walking around, they are loud. Mm-hmm. Very loud. They are very loud. You know, if you and if an elk is in a rut and he's raking trees, um, that simulates the same thing that they do. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be out there and you're going to be bugling, it would not make any sense for you to be bugling and sneaking down a road or sneaking down something making no noise because an elk's going to be like, "Well, I just walked through that and I was really loud, and now you're walking through bugling and I don't hear a sound." Yeah, is giving them that sound is almost reassuring, I believe. Yeah, because I can I can be bugling at a bull and sneaking down somewhere and having no response. And same thing you said, if you can be, mm-hmm. then you bugle, break branches and rake a tree, and he screams and runs right in. Yeah, it's a very realistic sound, I believe that that, that they hear. Well, one thing that, um, and to expand off of that, and you can tell me if you've experienced this, is we've experienced this in the last three years in a row. Is the cows are in charge of the herd, and the bulls pissed off, just following them around, waiting for one of them to come and yep. eat. He's not pushing them. There's a lead cow in charge of that herd, and she doesn't want to be screamed at. And we're following this guy, and we're, like, trying to get him to turn, trying to get him to turn, trying to get him to turn, not working. They keep getting pushed because the lead cow just doesn't want to hear it. We've ran into that a lot lately. And what we've been um, starting to do is using raking as a non-invasive way to keep the cows there feeding. Mm-hmm. Because, they're, you know, it's it's a lot less noise. It's a lot, lot less invasive. And then that bull is like, all right, let's do it. Like, my cows are staying here. I'm staying here. Let's do it. And that that raking is, it's way less, I'm more worried about the cows because the bull's going to follow the cows. And I don't know if you've experienced that. And we're, we're talking about Rockies here, not not with Rosies. Yeah. Have you, have you experienced that? Because we've really, really been working that chess match with those, with those lead cows just 
taking the herd away. Yeah, I mean, I, when, the times that I've hunted over east, um, I've had that same problem, and it seems with over there, I mean, granted, I don't have a ton of experience uh-huh. on Rockies just because I've grown up here, so I've hunted Roosevelt. But uh, so if anybody out there corrects me, you know, if I'm wrong, <laughs> I, that's totally fine. I'm still yeah. learning. But uh, I've been on quite a few herds with big bulls, yeah. and it seems that um, unless you really get in there and yeah. somehow, if it's just the perfect day, you know, if you're bugling, it seems like no, what, no matter what, those cow, that lead cow, like you said, is just walking away, and that bull yeah. will always leave yep. and just walk off. And so unless you can legit split that herd in between and get that bull away from that cow, yeah. he's going to try to get through you to get back to those cows. Yeah. And granted, they're not going to have any care of what's going on. Right. Um, but like, you know, for example, uh, you know, changing it back to Roosevelt is, it seems like it's the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, just this last week, um, got into a really good bull in a herd and, uh, the bull just wasn't quite fired up yet, mm-hmm. but, uh, having my buddy back bugling is th- those cows left that bull. Really? They ran down to me to 80 yards and that bull still standing up there pacing around mm. and, Could he uh, see him? Oh yeah, he could still see the cows. Yeah, but they were they were getting a ways away. Really? Yeah, the, huh. he, he. I think when I ranged him, he was like a hundred and <laughs> hundred and ninety six yards, and they uh, moved down to about eighty. Really? And uh, but as soon as I mean, the only thing that killed us is it got dark. Oh. So as soon as it got dark, that guy decided that he was going to be all big and macho, and then he started, <laughs> you know, piping off and running down closer. Yeah. But it's like those cows are like peace. Yeah. And just left that bowl and came down to us because you know we were making noise, and so. We had a situation, we talked about this before the podcast, where we had split the herd, and I'm, like, punching Anthony Marr. I'm like, lip ball, lip ball, lip ball, yeah. like, do it now. And then, like, oh, we're going to kill this thing. I got, like, so excited when we split that herd. Most Some guys probably like, ah, oh, crap. You know, I'm like, no, like, cows went that way. Like, four of them went that way. He's got a couple of them up here. We're right in the middle. Lip ball. Yeah. And, uh, you know, following the playbook, as everybody says, well, he didn't care. He was on the lead cow, which was also super hot at the yep. time, I'm guessing. So if you can do all everything right, according to every podcast I've listened to, do everything right, but you're not going to beat a hot cow. Oh, no, no. And, and, <laughs> and it's funny you say that is, uh, you know, we've had it before is, uh, you, know, you got a big herd bull and he's on a cow and they like, same thing. They got, I think this one was about 10, 10 or 12 cows is what he had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, watching him and those cows push through that timber and there's like a little buffer strip between the timber and the reprod and mm-hmm. that bull just was pushing him. He's actually pushing him away from another, uh, five point that was actually down the hill. Really? And, uh, sure enough, they get halfway through and the, the whole herd went up and one cow went down that bull completely left that herd and put the, his majority of the time down on that one cow. Really? Yep. So we had I ended up calling the the cows to about twelve yards, um, <laughs> and had that bull bugling, and he literally left all of them for that one cow. Yeah. And so that cow must have been the only hot one around heat, there. Heat of the moment. You yep. know, it's maybe maybe for them that we're. You know, a bird in the hand is worth two or forty. I, in the I bush. guess so. <laughs> so, um, so once once we we have the herd bulls with the herds, and one thing that we saw that this year, and I've gotten a few uh, guys also saying the same thing, is that these big bulls left these herds. Uh, to me, that says he bred them. Now he's looking for more cows. What's that say to you? Because that's the, we're talking rosies here. Now there's a, a little rag in in there, and there is a giant 300 class bull with them yeah. two weeks ago so 
that's that's a very good thing that you say about maybe they breed them, they're done with them, is a lot of the times the older bulls that I've noticed just in my area personally mm-hmm. is there's going to, we call them dumb ones, mm-hmm. is there's always going to be a couple dumb ones that actually keep those cows into arch or a general season rifle. Really? And those are the ones that get killed mm-hmm. because they don't leave. Mm-hmm. And so there's always, every year there's always one bull that stays with the cows, but from the majority of the part is there's going to be that couple week period where that herd bull has all of his cows. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, you know, we talked about seeing those elk in the unit mm-hmm. is I believe that those cow- bulls come down to pick those cows up and they will push them back to where they feel safe and they want to breed those cows at. Hmm. So when you're seeing them through the units is they're actually pushing those cows you know, they're out there feeding, they can see their herd, but they're going to this place where they want to stay. Hmm. Once they breed those cows, then that comes into play, like you say, yeah. is all of a sudden there's now there's a, a 300, 320 bull all by himself. Yeah. So I think that he's bred out, and we've had it before where we're last week of season, you know, hunting for somebody, and there's a giant herd bull, was a herd bull all yeah. by himself, and he wants nothing to do with anything. Really? He's nope. just, He's done. He's done. Hmm. You know he's he's uh all all, all finished his, his year was there he's <laughs> tired and yeah. now they start getting into their recovery mode is that's when you find them in high cascade rifle season these bulls are in hell holes they're all by themselves they mm-hmm. don't want to be bothered with because they've literally spent almost a month of not eating right and just running hard fighting um and they're just flat tired out. And that's the situations where you can go to the deepest, darkest holes and probably run into Yeah, <laughs> and, and what we always talk about and same with people is there's always that golden three days, uh-huh. and that is true. If you're out there every day, you, know, don't, you don't know when it's going to be, but there's going to be those three days where the rut activity is in full swing. Mm-hmm. These bulls are, you know, lighting up, and after that it seems like it just starts tapering off. The bulls start leaving, um, and I've had it, which oh, it was about oh, five years ago. Um, I shot my bull earlier, and I went out with a buddy the last day of season. And uh, we came around the corner and glassed up and spotted a bull. We worked up there. There was five branch bulls together the last day of season. Really? And they wanted nothing to do with cow calls. And so I'm guessing as they bred, they got back together, and they were moving up somewhere. Oddest thing, because normally mm. you wouldn't expect to see no, that. No, you wouldn't. But, God, they looked rough. They really did. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. When we were following that one big bull, he was a 350 bull, had only six cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were on him for hours. And when I say on him, we were less than 150 yards on him for hours, mm-hmm. uh, following him around, waiting for him to turn around. And he, the whole time we were on him, there was three satellite bulls, one of them which would have gave a run for his money. He was a We called him the wonky bull. And if you follow the Instagram, you've seen pictures of him because I posted it in a video of him. He was like probably like a 330 bowl on one side and then like a wonky bowl on the <laughs> other. And, uh, and then there was a 290 bowl and then like a, a rag. I don't even know what he was doing in there. He had no business messing with these guys. And all he was doing, that big bowl, the herd bowl was doing, was fighting off those three other bowls the whole time, every day. Yep. Every day. And that takes a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. Forget about chasing your cows around and trying to, to get that seal the deal there. You've got three serious bulls over there. And where I'm leading with that is fast forward another week and a half or two weeks. Anthony and Shelby are back over there right now. He called me at noon today, fired up. He's like, seven bulls and the herd bull. I'm like, really? He's like, there's more bulls in here than when we left. And they're all screaming. They're all pissed off. 
and the same thing. They had a bull at like uh, 30 yards, but it was too brushy for like 30 minutes today, and they're just waiting for him to walk out. Never did. Like just screaming, raking. Just, yeah, it, it, I remember uh, – I was trying to think back. I think it was three years ago. And a lot of people would probably laugh at me and say I jumped the gun or whatever the situation would be. But I spotted this bull out in this unit, and I only thought it was just a single single bull. We get over there and walk all the way back down this little drainage. Well, sure enough, it was a really nice five-point. Hmm. And uh, he probably had a herd of about, I want to say, 16. Really? So we're sitting there you know, figuring out what we're going to do. And uh, all of a sudden, this five-point runs all the way to the backside of the cows, and he's standing there looking. And uh, sure enough, here comes this big six point out. Really? Yeah, pro- yeah probably about you know three to three twenty bull. Great, great Roosevelt. Serious. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, that bull freaking runs all the way through those cows, chases <laughs> that five point out. Huh. And uh, um, next thing you know, here comes two spikes over the ridge. <laughs> and so we get yeah. down there, get set up, and I was like, "Oh, this bull's dead." I mean, we're gonna. This guy is so fired up right now. He's down there bugling. And within, I want to say within 15 minutes, we called in seven bulls to this one drainage. Mm-hmm. And this six point is running back and forth, back and forth, because when he runs down to push one off, mm-hmm. another one comes down and tries to get his cows. So right. he runs right back and forth. And it we, we messed with them for probably an hour. And the closest I could get that bull would come in would be like, you know, 90 yards. And then he would run right back up and go to the cows. And, um, right. you know, it was just a constant, you know, uh, rut fest well finally after a while he just got tired of it the wind changed and he said i'm done push these cows up and out mm-hmm. well um you know that was my little premature i end up shooting a spike which is the smallest <laughs> bull out of the whole herd but you know uh, what i still got an elk i don't discriminate and, with and elk. so it's a lot of people would have been like dude you're an idiot why didn't you just go up there and try to get that bull fired back up yeah but it's. I only look at it as one opportunity. I could have passed that spike up and never, never got another opportunity the rest of the season. Only time I passed the spike up was at sixty-three yards, broadside feeding, in a river. It was beautiful. Like, <laughs> oh my god! And uh, and then I knew he wasn't the only bull in there. And then out walks this three twenty-six point Rocky. Yeah. And uh, I've never seen a Roosevelt over three hundred, like with my own eyes, um, alive. Yeah. And uh and then I got greedy and then I followed that herd for about a mile and I never got a shot at either of them again. And yeah, it's it's just uh it's it's well, I would have shot that thing if that 320 was there. I should have shot that spike is what I was going one in the hand. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know? It's, it's always hindsight 2020, you it know. It is. And uh we kind of joke about it is um you know, it's like that uh, bull I called in for my buddy Joey last year is he always joke. I mean, we're all, we're, we all have the same mindset is you shoot the first opportunity yeah. that you have. And, uh, you know, it's not like we're phenomenal hunters. We just put so much effort into it. Yeah. And Joey's bull we shot last year, I want to say it was 327. Really? Is that that Roosevelt scored? That's crazy. Yep. And he always jokes about it. He's like, huh, that was the first bull he called into bow range for me. <laughs> you know, and it's it just. Lottery. You, yep, that's all it is. And so. It's just spending all of your time out there. You don't have to be the best hunter. No. You just have to be completely dedicated, you know, and, and you're going to ruin opportunities. We do every year. Don't think that we're the best hunters. Don't think yeah. that, you know, we know all this stuff is that if you just put the time in and hunt over and over and over and you learn from your mistakes, you build on failure is that biggest thing is to have a blast and go out there with the mindset of I'm going to hunt and take everything I can out of today. Don't get discouraged. 
and soon enough, all of a sudden, there's an opportunity, and your tag's filled. Right. Well, I want to expand on the herd real quick. If you have a herd, and you're on a herd bull, and you and I both said that, you know, these other bulls are coming in, mm-hmm. um, it's so important to be on a swivel because I don't know how many times we've been on herd bulls, and then we have tunnel vision. We're on that herd yeah. bull, but then we bust a bull over here. We bust a bull over here. Bull comes in behind us. And if you're not worried about killing, you just want to kill a bull. I mean, you should really, if you want to kill a bull, set up near a herd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just, you will get them to come in. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so are you wanting to, like, expand on the idea of maybe while you're on a herd bull, maybe getting a smaller one off? Yeah, I, I, I want people to really to understand that, you know, if they're really trying to get a bull, yeah, a herd bull is great. But when you have those herds in sight or you can see a herd, I mean, and you got to be willing to at least take your time and getting in there in certain situations. So if you know the herd's there, right, you know there's a hot, really hot bull in there, yeah, you can try and kill them. But you're probably getting bulls listening to you and pushing out of that area, you're probably spooking a bunch of them in, on the air. And so if you're just trying to get the first opportunity, yeah, like me, I'm shooting the first freaking bull. If I have a 320 bull and I have a 285 point walkout, that 280 is getting oh, yeah, freaking arrow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, he- I just feel like from our own mistakes, probably I probably count them on two hands, how many times we've screwed other bulls up going after tunnel vision. On one herd or oh, one I, bull. Oh, I, I forgot. I've, I've screwed yeah. up so much stuff. Yeah. You know, and you're going to. You know, it's all, it's all you know, part of the game. Um, you know, and that's a big thing is just kind of, you know, you want to be fast, but you always want to analyze the situation. You know, like the bull that I shot this year, do we watched it forever. Yeah. You know, it, we had time. If it was it was in a situation where you didn't have enough time, then you you really go to you know okay where can I go hurry up get the wind right understand things. But if you got a big herd, they're out in an opening. They're somewhere where there's not a lot of pressure, or even if there is, but you have time. Mm-hmm. Is if you're I mean like you and I, if you're just wanting to get an elk, mm-hmm. is you know have a plan A and have a plan B. You know, if there's, if you can work into the spot and say, okay, well, I got in here, wind changed. Um, yeah, try for the herd bull. If not, just be cognizant of, you know, there may be more elk around the situation. You know, don't get so focused on just running right at this bull because cows have lots of eyes and there's lots <laughs> of eyes with cows and right. they're going to screw you sometime. They look like they have two eyes on their head, but I think they have four. I, it's unbelievable. I don't understand <laughs> it. I really don't understand it. But. I call them sentries because they're like always like scanning and looking oh, for sh- dangers. No kidding. Um, it's same thing. I I I hate a couple different things. I hate zebras and then I hate moo cows, <laughs> and it's for the same exact reason. Because when we're in Africa, zebras were moo cows. Yep, they were everywhere. They're they're a game animal. You can shoot them, but I, they probably busted six different stocks on. I mean, it was like I have no interest in shooting one. By the time I was, we were done. I was like. I'm, I'm I think I'm game. ready to shoot one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready to shoot <laughs> like, one of these things. Uh, there's too many of these things here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you're risking a lot more going after that big bull when there's probably a bunch of nice bulls hanging around yeah. that herd. Well, and that's uh, – is I may post a picture of it later, but um, that bull I shot this year, we've been watching him <laughs> from the beginning of spring bear. Really? Yep. So huh. that comes into play is knowing your elk herds. Uh-huh. 
you know, knowing what's up there is if you have like, and where I shot mine is this elk herd has been there all year long. The only reason why they weren't there for a little bit is maybe they got more, some more pressure and they pushed up and out. Well, sure enough, just like clockwork, they run that loop, boom, the elk are right back in there. Really? And so you understand these elk herds say, okay, I know this bull's there that has this many cows and may, he may pick up more. There may be another elk that shows up, but, uh, if you're looking in an area and there's a herd bull with that same number of cows and there's no spikes, there's no raghorns, start understanding, going, okay, well, I have a timber patch here. Mm-hmm. I have a reprod patch here. Those elk are going to be in one of those. So if that herd bull don't work out, shoot, go walk the other timber patch. Go call the other timber patch. And a lot of the times those bulls, the spikes, the, the three points, the raghorns have already got kicked off mm-hmm. and they're in that timber patch chilling. Boom, there's your golden opportunity to go call one in. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we're always talking about rosies right here. Yeah. But I, I imagine that would probably work for Rockies too. Yeah. Yeah. That those Rocky men, they're weird. <laughs> they are weird. I, I, I really, after, after getting that one this year, the Rosie and then going over and hunting Rockies, it's so it, it's similar, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's really hard to explain because it's two different experiences. Like although where we were hunting over East, it was just as thick almost as it was over here. Yeah. I mean, it was seriously, seriously. Like I said, Anthony and Shelby were 30 yards from that bull, he said, today for at least half an hour. And we were on that big bull uh, that we were chasing for four days. We had him at 15 yards for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Just couldn't get a shot. Yeah. It's, you know, I I have a buddy, and I'll actually give him a shout out. He always looks me crap. His name's (laughs) Tanner Jarvis. (laughs) And uh, he's over from that bend area, and they do a lot of hunting over there, and they're really good hunters. You know, and he always flicks me crap and said, always asks me when I'm going to go over there and hunt with the, and hunt real elk. (laughs) And, um, you know, he came over here and hunted Roosevelt's for a couple days, and uh, we were over there hunting Rocky Mountain, and he texted me, he's like, dude, your elk suck. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's it, Roosevelt's are a different game. Yeah. You know, they are a completely different animal, you know, and, and he's got that Rocky Mountain stuff dialed. I and mean, he's been yeah. doing his whole life. But what do you expect? If you've been hunting Rockies your whole life, you're yeah. going to be a lot better at it than, you know, somebody that hasn't. Right. And so when I started, it took me, I was telling somebody this the other day because they were kind of bumming, bumming themselves out. And I was like, dude, it took me, um, I did just said on the last podcast too, it took me two years to hear my first bugle two years yeah. i didn't know anything about anything uh, my dad bow hunted before i could remember and i was learning all on my own i was out there by myself and then i remember when i got my first bugle i about sh- crap myself oh <laughs> like, and then i had to figure out whether it was a hunter or a bull yep. and, and it was in a it was it was a bull no hunter would go down there <laughs> well it's i've i've screwed up so many opportunities and uh the big thing i noticed with the rocky mountains is um same thing with people is when you talk a lot, you get a sore throat. Mm-hmm. When you when they bugle a lot, they get a sore throat. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you start noticing an elk, more goes on, he's having a hard time <laughs> bugling, he's having a hard time saying anything. And yeah. I remember uh, I actually shot a bull, um, I think it was a couple days after that over there. But uh, I was walking into my spot, and the same thing, you never see anybody there. And uh, all of a sudden I hear this god-awful bugle coming from the wallow. I'm like, son of a gun, somebody beat me in here somehow. Uh-huh. So I was all like, you know, well, this this you know hunt shot, so I might as well just walk up there and talk to these guys. So I'm just like <laughs> walking up there nonchalantly and come around the corner, and here's this six-point standing at the uh-huh. wall looking at me and bust it out of there. I'm like, well, that didn't go as planned. <laughs> but, you know, 
kind of like analyze the situation, yeah. I guess. Um, That's you know. funny you say that because we were on a bull and uh, we never named him because we don't really name bulls. We named the wonky bull the wonky <laughs> bull because you have to. I mean, yeah. he's so unique. Oh, yeah. But we just called him the big bull and um, he lost his voice. It sounded like he would he'd be three hundred yards away, but he was only like a hundred and twenty. Yeah, he just nothing. He just uh, he could get the first part and the last part, and then nothing in between. Yeah, and it was like uh, him like just pushing air in the middle, and he he I mean he was literally raking uh, I don't know every ten fifteen yards and bugling all day long. If something's gonna give, oh I know it's oh, it was so cool though. I've never heard a bull. I mean, we probably heard him. Bugle probably 60 or 80 times. Really? And then he rubbed probably, well, he, I, I don't know. I'd say he probably rubbed 200 times while we were there. Oh, just going just, at it. Just That's all he did. That's and then awesome. we talked to a guy that had, had known about that bull, um, and he didn't have a tag for it. And uh, he nicknamed that bull Thrasher. He'd been watching him for like five years. Really? Mm-hmm. That's and I'm cool. like, that's a well-named bull yeah, I could, thrasher. I could, I could see why you know you'd go yeah. with that one. I'm like, why'd you name a thrasher? Because he tears everything up. I'm like, ah, I know what bull you're talking about. Yeah, that totally makes we sense. We know. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> – so, well, what would you say we wrap this thing up, eat some elk burgers, and then record another one? That sounds fantastic That to works me. for me. Yeah, we're actually going to – I've already got it thawed out. Kim's already sliced up the tomatoes. So, let's go down there, enjoy some dinner, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about bears. Already sounds good, man. All right, see you guys. All right, guys, that's this week's episode of the podcast about Roosevelt elk and, and, and hunting in Oregon and stuff like that. I had a great time with Derek. He's a wealth of knowledge. It's just fun to, to hear a guy that's, that has a, a passion that's so much that it gets him out in the woods pretty much every day, and he knows what these elk are doing 24-7, and he's able to get it done. And uh, he's going to be somebody that you're going to see in the hunting world, I believe, uh, become a very, very well-known figure in the hunting world. The guy presents himself well, takes great photos, in my words, you know, he does it right. And uh, he's going to be someone that we can rely on to really portray hunting in a great light. So thanks, Derek, for coming on to the show and giving our listeners tips. Uh, I had a great time learning from you and bouncing ideas back off of you. It was awesome. And uh, looking forward to doing what you're w- looking forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future. For the listeners out there, if you can leave a five-star review, go ahead and do that. But you have to leave a comment with it if you want to get entered in these giveaways that I do whether it's an elk call, a supplement, a DVD, whatever it may be, we're constantly doing giveaways for our listeners and uh, have a great time doing that. I'm not above bribing basically for a five-star review if that's what it takes. But if you want to get entered, um, leave a comment. If you don't care, go ahead and leave a five-star review. It takes like five seconds. Hit that subscribe button so you get notifications when I do upload. Um, We're back to trying to upload uh, once a week now that I have all my tags filled. Um, I feel like I'm way behind on my podcast and I'm going to be pumping out the content. So stay tuned for what's coming around the corner, guys, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.